Dr. Diana Drum was born in Nashville, Tennessee. She earned her undergraduate degree in molecular biology from the University of Montana and got her veterinary degree from the University of Tennessee in 1999. After graduation, she did a residency in comparative medicine at the Scripps Research Institute in San Diego, California. She then joined a mixed animal practice in Bishop, California. Afterwards, she purchased a small animal practice in Reno, Nevada, before moving to San Diego and purchasing the Animal Healing Center, where she remains to this day. Dr. Drum was certified by IVIS in 2006 and in Chinese veterinary herbal medicine in 2007. She has training in veterinary orthopedic manipulation, ozone therapy, and homeopathy. She is also the incoming president of the AHVMA. In this episode, we discuss her education, growing a multi-doctor holistic practice, how COVID has changed the way we work, and her thoughts on becoming AHVMA president in October of 2021. Dr. Drum, thanks for taking the time to talk today. Yeah, no problem. So where'd you grow up? Um, I grew up in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, I think in the 70s and 80s, it was a much smaller, less busy place than it is now. Yeah, uh, I've been back to Nashville a few times since I moved to the West Coast, and it's not the sleepy little town that it used to be. The traffic is terrible, and it's very crowded. But as a kid, it was a really safe place to grow up. I feel like. Cool. Did you? When did you decide you want to be a veterinarian? Oh, um, actually, not until college. It's yeah, where everybody has their own evolution. But um, I was a molecular biology major, and then I worked on the cystic fibrosis transmembrane regulator gene mouse model, and I thought that transgenics was the coolest thing ever. This would have been in the early 90s. Yeah. So I decided to go to veterinary school more because I wanted to learn about pathophysiology of disease and, um, you know, animal... um, uh, Come on, Diana. Pathophysiology of disease. What's the other thing that animals have? Physiology. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> but um, when I started vet school, I uh, volunteered to be the student member on the IACUC, which is the Institutional Animal Care and Use Committee. Ah, uh-huh. you guys aren't familiar with that. And so, because I wanted to, you know, find out more about what research was going on and what was happening in everybody's labs, and kind of working with the laboratory animal veterinarians, um, that really appealed to me as a career choice versus just going strictly into research because also, you know, in your first couple of years of vet school, you're learning medicine and you're doing surgery. And that's also was very appealing. So laboratory animal medicine seemed to be a way to merge um, my desire for animal uh, to be involved in, in research studies and then also to still be able to provide veterinary services. So after vet school, uh, I did a residency in comparative medicine at the Scripps Research Institute here in San Diego, and that's how I got here. So that was the goal then when you went to Scripps was to kind of do the lab animal thing? Yeah. Comparative medicine is just a nice way to say laboratory animal medicine. So I yeah. worked for the Department of Animal Resources for a three-year residency, which um, actually quit in the middle for a variety of reasons that I don't need to slander them in a podcast. <laughs> so. Really feel like the animals were being used judiciously, and yeah, I had to quit. All right, so what? Where'd you go after? Well, San Diego, even at that time in the late '90s, was super expensive, and I already had five roommates, so I was like, "I guess I gotta get a job." And I was like, "Bartend, wait tables, be a stripper." And my roommate from vet school was like, "You could just be a veterinarian." I was like, oh, <laughs> "It had never occurred to me." 
So, um, I got a job in a, a really busy small animal practice where I worked for about a year. Um, kind of during that period of time, I met my current husband and um, we we're both climbers and skiers. And so uh, I took a position at a mixed animal practice in rural California in the Eastern Sierras. Uh, so a lot of my early career was, if it wasn't a human being, we treated it at Bishop Veterinary Hospital. Yeah. So it was a good first experience as far as doing everything. So we did surgery, orthopedics, whatever. People weren't driving to a specialist four hours away. So I got to do a lot of things I probably wouldn't have done if I had been in a big city. How many how many vets were in that practice? Four. So you had, how, how's your on-call schedule? <laughs> the worst. Uh, one night a week and then one weekend a month. Ah, uh, and large animal. Yep, which was hilarious because I'm not really a large animal person. So, you know, if I'm in there in the middle of the night for a colic, whoever was the client, because it's a really small town, like 2,000 people lived in the town, you know, it'd be yeah. like, can you just call Carl to come in? I'm like, well, it's not really his day. So, nope. <laughs> but there's good climbing there. I mean, I, when I think of Bishop, I think of climbing. Oh, yeah. It, amazing. It was, I mean, as far as outdoor opportunities, it was amazing as far as climbing, um, skiing, you know, often you got 80 or hundred days a year of skiing in. I mean, one could, if they weren't working, but there was a lot uh, of outdoor opportunities there. Nice. So how long were you there? Uh, six years. Then what? And then I decided working for old Dr. Old and older Dr. Old was never going to get me anywhere. <laughs> um, so kind of in the middle of that evolution in Bishop, cause you were asking about my on-call schedule. Um, a little bit of backstory, just since a teenager, I had had uh, really bad migraines, you know, and so kind of more painful days than good days a month. And um, I had to go in in the middle of the night to do what ended up being a splenectomy for a dog that had a hemoabdomen. And uh, again, super small town, the owner is in surgery helping me, right? This is what typically happens. You're like, okay, put on some gloves and stick your finger here. Uh, so when we were in recovery, I was waiting to extubate the dog and the owner came back and asked if she could do some Reiki on the dog while it was waking up. And so if you think about my sciencey background, I mean, I kind of knew what that was, but I was like, knock yourself out, lady, whatever. And um, so while we were, she was doing her thing and we were sitting there waiting for the dog to recover. She asked me how I was feeling because, of course, I had a really bad headache. And I said I had a headache and I had had migraines. And she said, well, um, as it happens, I'm an acupuncturist and I, I think I could really help you. And I was like, no, thanks. So she said, I'm so convinced that I can help you. I'll treat you for free. Ah. And I just wanted her to leave so that I could go home to bed because I had to get up and go to work the next day. So I agreed. And then I did actually follow up and go, her name, um, uh, Marla. Uh, I did go see her and she treated me with NAET and she gave me Chinese herbs and she did acupuncture. And it was really just life changing to have less painful days and then only maybe two painful days a month and then none. So I kind of went from being this complete skeptic of what she wanted to do post-op for her dog to being a total believer. Yeah. Uh, Cause there, are, I mean, so I was probably seven years into my veterinary career at that time. And by wow. then I think for all of us, you're just really disillusioned about how many things Western medicine can't fix. Yeah. And you just have these chronic patients who come in with whatever is their internal medicine or skin or GI problem and, you just slap the Band-Aid on there until they come the next time. So I asked old Dr. Old and older Dr. Old uh, if I, I could go to acupuncture training. And they, uh, 
I was amazed, were very uh, open to that. So they actually paid for my IBIS training and travel and hotel and gave me the time off work to do it. Nice. Yeah, that was really cool of them. Um, so then I was a couple more years after that, I was doing more Chinese herbs and trying to get people to home cook food. Uh, and then a woman that I had made friends with uh, or become friends with during our IVIS training who lived in Reno at the time um, said the practice where she was working was for sale and that she thought we should buy it. And I was like, yeah, that's an amazing idea. Let's totally do that. And so that's how we got from Bishop um, to Reno. Yeah. And so I practiced with her for four years. It turned out that she was a little um, unstable. So right. uh, we broke up as partners and that's good because you need to realize that you don't want to have a partner. Yeah. So then um, we moved back to San Diego and we're couch surfing and stuff for a while. And I ended up doing some relief work for um, Keith Weingart, who at that time was the owner of the Animal Healing Center here. So I worked for him and I worked for some other um, practices. And then Keith and uh, his wife wanted to move and he's like, eh, why don't you take over? And I was like, yeah, that seems like a great idea. Why don't I take over? So I've uh, owned Animal Healing Center for 10 years now. Oh, nice. Yeah. All right. I want to back up for a second. So when you were when you were a student at Tennessee, uh, I know they had rehab then, but did they have any holistic kind of care th at school? No, no. Um, I can't think of the name, the surgeon's name who does the rehab training. I think they were doing that kind of in early stages. That was 95 through 99. Dr. Millis. Yeah. Yeah, Dr. Yeah. Millis. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So they were doing no, rehab. No complementary alternative medicine, anything. Gotcha. Was Tennessee your first choice to go to school? It was. Actually, um, I went to college in Montana, and they do not have a veterinary school. They are part of the whammy. Um, so there were only two spaces for Montana students to go to school in Washington. Yeah. Um, so I moved back to Tennessee for a year to become a resident again so that ah. I could pay in-state tuition. Gotcha. Well, I mean, yeah, I guess it was my first choice because it was the least expensive. Sure. Option. Sure. How many in your class? My still paying on my student loans. Oh, jeez. How, how many were in your class? About 60. Oh, nice. Yeah. That's a good size. It was. Um, where did you take your IVIS course? In San Diego. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, so not bad. I mean, the, the drive from Bishop to San Diego is about six hours. And that's actually how I met my partner in Reno because we met at the first IVA session and she's like, well, I'm driving down. So why don't I just pick you up in Bishop? And then that's kind of how we became friends because we drove back and forth five yeah. times. <laughs> so that was a small animal practice in Reno. Uh, correct. Yeah. All right. So the, the place you're at now. So how long were you an associate before you bought it? Uh, well, I wasn't actually an associate. I was just contract labor gotcha. or relief, whatever you want to call that. Maybe. Yeah. Six months. Oh, nice. I mean, I really feel like if you listen to the timeline of the story, the universe just provides and you got to be ready to be like, yes, this is the right thing to do. Yeah. Not thinking about what should I do next or is that the right thing to do? So I just met this guy at a conference. And when I came to San Diego, he says, can you do some relief work? We're going to Jazz Fest. And I was like, yeah, I can totally do that. Uh -huh. And then it was the right time in their life to move. And it was the right time in my life to take over. So it just, you know, worked out. Was he the only doc in the practice at the time? Or? Um, no, actually, there was one other. And I don't know if I should be saying people's names specifically. In the, yeah, if you like, sure. But, uh, the other, there was only one other doctor there at the time, uh, Katie Kangas. And 
she stayed, I, I want to say five more years, and then she opened her own practice, which I was su- bummed to lose her, but super flattered because I feel like when when I took over from Keith, she was disappointed because he took really complicated cases and like just gave her the kidney failure and arthritis cases. And so, uh. you know, I taught her about cancer treatment and all kinds of stuff. And we actually kind of co-educated each other. And so it's really mm-hmm. cool for someone to go out on their own. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's flattering. So was it a, a holistic practice or a traditional practice, an integrated practice? What was it when you got there? Oh, no. Okay. So um, Lakeside Animal Hospital in Reno was an integrative practice. Okay. So we did surgery and radiology and blood work and all that stuff. And I, I actually yeah. was kind of um, frustrated with being in an integrative practice because there are a lot of people came because we were convenient or close to their house. They weren't really interested in any kind of uh, integrative care. So if I try to explain that it's much better to space out the vaccines and they're like, no doc, I need all three of them today because Fluffy's going mm. to boarding. That became a frustration to me. And I felt like I was constantly having to educate or sell integrative medicine to people who weren't really interested or just changing your personal energy throughout the day. Because if you go in to do acupuncture or energy work on an animal, then you have to go in the next room and perform euthanasia. Then you have to go in the next room and talk to people who just want prednisone for fluffy. It was just really hard to change my hat throughout the day. Yeah. Um, so what I what really interested me as far as taking over Animal Healing Center is that it was completely holistic. Okay. So you don't, during the day, there's no changing hats. Um, so we don't provide any surgical services or, um, diagnostics beyond basic lab work. And we have several, um, I don't want to call them sister hospitals, but local conventional practices where the veterinarians there are very sympathetic to alternative medicine. Mm -hmm. So I feel comfortable sending my patients there if they need a dental or x-rays, stuff like that. Nice. So, uh, how many staff do you have now? Um, well, COVID has really changed things for us. So okay. there are four veterinarians now, um, one, two, three, four, five technicians, four receptionists, and I actually have a practice manager. Nice. So it's really, it's grown quite a bit. Uh, we actually also, thanks to COVID, were able to buy the real estate where the practice is hmm. um, that had a second building on it. So now we've expanded out of the primary uh, facility into a, another building next door. So we have more treatment rooms and actually a kitchen for the staff. Hooray. Oh, that's nice. So uh, what kind of, so how long have you owned the business? Um, Animal Healing Center for 10 years since okay. well, 2012. So what is it? Year is it? 29. So, nine. Nine years. So what, how, how, um, if you can recall, what was the timeline in adding practitioners, adding veterinarians? Um, uh, let's see. So it was just Katie and myself and then, um, several other veterinarians who came to do their IVIS apprenticing with us mm, Yeah, ended up, you know, like working one day a week or two days a week. Um, so that was pretty quick. And one of my main goals when I took over animal healing center really was to rebrand it in San Diego because, mm-hmm. um, 
it was more Keith Weingart's practice. So any other veterinarian was just like, go see Keith for mm -hmm. your alternative needs. And I wanted it more to be go to Animal Healing Center so that people could be comfortable seeing any of the practitioners um, in our practice. And also, uh, it gives us all a lot more flexibility to have a life outside of work. Yes. If you have more practitioners and your clients are comfortable seeing anyone because the reputation is for the Animal Healing Center, not just for me. How did you do that? How did you encourage that mindset? Uh, well, mostly when I took on new clients. So, and we kind of had a taper. Um, so once I bought the practice from Keith, he stayed, I want to say for six months and he went from four days to three days. Then he went from three to two, two to one. And over that period of time was handing patients over to me and we were mm -hmm. still taking new patients. So I kind of did the same thing when new practitioners came into the fold because let's say, Neil, you were my client. And I would say, oh, Neil, I'm going to be out of town next week, but I, I really feel like you should see Dr. Carter so that you can stay on your treatment schedule. Yeah. And then I would also encourage people to say, I, and, and it's a bonus anyway, because it's you should be familiar with more than one practitioner in case you have an emergency and I'm not available. Yeah. And then the other practitioners did the same thing because, you know, you, I'm sure know how much alternative medicine is kind of a cult of personality. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the other practitioners, patients don't necessarily want to see me or want to, you know, because they've already developed this bond with you and you know the backstory of the patient. So when we had our, um, you know, doctor meetings or team building stuff, those were some of the things that I tried to encourage was be sure to assure your clients that they can see any of us here. Um, I think also too, because two of the current doctors were ones that did their uh, apprenticing with me and really got into holistic medicine inside Animal Healing Center, we really do kind of all practice the same way. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not that Dr. A thinks this and Dr. B thinks that, and then I think something else. That's we're helpful. All, we're all kind of on the same page and we all have the same training as far as acupuncture, Chinese medicine, homeopathy, laser, ozone. You know, we've all kind of been to the same CE stuff. That's helpful. Yeah. That's really so that helpful. You know, everyone so, can do the same, do the same things. Yes. So, uh, do you use a lot of ozone in your practice then? We do actually. Um, I did my ozone training with Dr. Schallenberger in Reno in 2013, maybe. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it's really been amazing. It's one of the only things I think where it's, I wish I had a conventional arm to my practice because I feel like ozone is so useful for things, but that require an animal to be sedated a little bit. Yeah. Um, like to do uh, prolozone would be great, but you know, we don't really have any way to sedate them. I wouldn't really feel comfortable anyway, even if I just use Dexdorm because we don't have any cages, we don't have any emergency, anything. Yeah. But, but yes, uh, sub Q ozone, we use a lot. Rectal ozone, we use a lot. Um, I have a UV. So depending on the patient, the, we do O3 UV. Nice. Yeah. And uh, now that we have more technical staff, we used to just have one tech. <laughs> Poor guy. Uh, and then when COVID started, um, for whatever reason, he left the practice. And I ended up hiring more RVTs because with owners not coming in, they used to be the ones that held for acupuncture. So now we had a lot of technicians. Um and not to say that they were bored, but they have skills that we hadn't needed in the past. So we mm -hmm. do a lot more uh, 
blood draws and for things like O3 UV, if I was doing them before, I would draw the blood, the tech would mix mix it up with the ozone and then I would give it back off the needle. And now I don't have to do that because the technicians are very competent to either put yeah. in the IV catheter or just give it off the needle. Has it been difficult to find technicians? Um, actually, no. And because how we advertise, in fact, I just hired another technician. So let me add her six. Um, is because our the, the pace of practice is slow. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no emergencies. The day yeah. for the technicians is completely scheduled. Yeah. I kind of bill it as, are you tired of the hectic pace of your current practice and being pulled in all multiple directions. If you're looking for something that's um, a little more relaxed, I mean, certainly we're very casual anyway within the practice, but uh, I mean, the technicians are busy during the day, but they know exactly what to expect because they have laser appointment, technician uh, blood draw appointment. Maybe they have ozone appointment. Mm -hmm. And then I have a room tech with me every day to hold and assist um, we really aren't letting owners back in the building as much as possible. So yes, that's how I found technicians is we advertise for that. This is going to be a much more relaxed atmosphere. That's great. And a, a lot of our, I should say one, two, three of our technicians are in their sixties. Yeah. You know, so they were really tired of, uh, uh the hectic pace of a conventional practice. Sure. Oh, they, it's kind of a nice mix, you know, they can use their skills, but not be pounded at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah, that's quite good. No literal heavy lifting. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. So you've been curbside since COVID started. Yes. And um, honestly, I think clients like it because yeah. pre-COVID, they would come in, um, I would put the needles in, and then they would attend the dog and I would leave the room, or cat patient, mm-hmm. attend the patient, I would leave the room. And so now that they don't have to do that and they can sit in their cars and, you know, work on their phones or whatever it is, they can either entertain themselves better or get other work done um, while the patient's in the building. And I don't think they miss out on the FaceTime with me because versus some other practices who have texts, uh, I actually go out and conduct my interview and get it, you know, recent history with them. So they get a lot of FaceTime with me still. Then we go in with the tech and do whatever treatment we're going to do. And then I'll come back out and tell them what I found and what we did. So I think they still are getting, feel like they're getting a lot of personal attention. Oh, that's good. Is yeah. there uh, less of uh, the, hey, the needles came out if your technician is restraining versus the owner? <laughs> Actually, yes, <laughs> interestingly enough. Yeah. And um, since, again, I, I mentioned that uh, some of my technicians are older, it's harder for them to get up and down off the floor like I would. So yeah. we have all kinds of new things we've devised so that animals can be treated higher on the table. And we have a variety of heights of things, you know, depending Mm. on how big the dog is or cat to make it easier on them. And I think that helps a little bit too, because I used to do all my treatments on the floor. um, And hopefully the owner could sit on the floor with the dog while I left or cat while I left the room. Uh, And there was a lot more of the animal walking around Mm -hmm. and needles coming out and things like that. So I think they tend to get a more complete treatment when they're actually in one of our, um, um, relaxing boxes, I'll just call them. Yeah. <laughs> well, it'll be good when, uh, when you do let people start to come back in, you know, to have the mm-hmm. technicians still be able to, to hold the patient if you need to. Right. They'll have to get better at small talk. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> right. That's it. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Before we go, I just wanted to talk about, I mean, you're uh, going to take over as president of the AHVMA next month. Yes. Feeling good about that? I am actually. Um, I'm really excited about what's happening with HVMA and I don't want to, you know, spoiler on my speech and stuff, but again, this is sort of like the universal circle. Um, I really started my holistic career um, in Reno. My very first HVMA conference was in Reno when it was in a casino at Sparks. So I know we're all disappointed about Smoky Casino, but we've been in Smoky Casinos before. Uh So it's pretty cool for my first HVMA and the HVMA where I am going to take over or be at least lead for a year is in the same town. Uh And um, I also have a kindredness uh, with Reno because when I lived in Bishop and had to do my um, IVAS apprenticing, I did it with a practitioner, Dave Lowell in Reno. Yeah, sure. um, So hopefully he comes because I want to just give a shout out to mentorship. Yeah. And, you know, HVMA has led me to so many mentors in my career who I'm still in touch with regularly. So I hope I can encourage mentorship in our members and um, help us to all, you know, get to where we need. We all think of acupuncture as the starting place, but then you go to HVMA and you're like, Ooh, I want to learn about herbs. And then you go the next, you're like, yes, I want to learn about essential oils. And then you go the next, you're like, "Mm, crystals have got to be part of my practice and sound healing. So it's just a great organization to introduce you to so many different facets of holistic medicine and and what's available. That's for sure. You know, it's a good point about the internship hours, like with Ivis, you know, a lot of people look at that, I think as a pain in the ass to have to do those hours, but it's, it's really, I mean, it's a fraction of what you should be doing as far or what we ideally could be doing as far as an internship. And it's, look at, it's gotten you a couple of doctors, so that's been good. Mm -hmm. Um, But I just think, you know, especially now looking back, man, I I would have loved to have spent weeks, you know, in places instead of just a day or two, unfortunately. Uh, well, it's 30 hours. So I think I drove to Reno six weekends in a row to get get hours with Dave and, um, I'm going to bring it to the conference, but I still have my little notebook where I was writing things down and I refer to it because he had great tips of point combinations for anesthesia detox, this, 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 and this. And so I, I still refer to that. Yeah. It was really, it's a really valuable experience to be a mentee and hopefully a mentor. Oh, for sure. So uh, besides the, the, the people that you've had come through that have stayed in the practice, do you get many uh, docs that come through? Um, I have, besides those two, I can only think of three others. And um, Natalia is still in California. But the other two, I think, are have left the state. Yeah. So I don't know why we don't have more requests for mentoring or, and I think there are actually a lot of acupuncturists in San Diego. So maybe people just have more choices. Yeah. I mean, the course comes to San Diego kind of frequently, doesn't it? Or no, I don't pay attention anymore. I think it's only been here once oh. since I was here. All right. Cause I took it in 2005 here in San Diego. All right. I think it's been here one other time. Oh, okay. I didn't, it, it seems like a pretty good West coast location. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. So any big goals for your presence here? Where do you, where do you want to see the association go? Um, I would like for uh, the association to 
um, continue to bring more people into the fold. Um, in the past few years, I think there's been uh, some there's been some fractioning where individual groups have been, you know, holding their own um, uh, their own presence, and I think that's great that you should have an you should belong to a group that focuses specifically on whatever your area of interest is. Um, but I feel like HVMA really is the umbrella where all of these groups can come together. Um, because how else, how else are we going to learn about different modalities that are out there? If, if each modality, whether it's crystals or sound therapy or essential oils or acupuncture, or even Chinese herbs have their own entities and organizations. I mean, each one of us only has so much time in the year to leave work and, uh, learn something new. So I want HVMA to be the place where people come to experience a lot of different things um, and meet a lot of people that can potentially help them and be contacts. The organization does a lot of work outside of the conference, um, but I do think the conference is the culmination of, of all of our um, desires uh, as professionals. It's a pretty strong pull, I have to admit. You know the the mix of people that co go to the meeting and participate in lecture and and that you just run into in the lunch line or the coffee shop. You know that, mm -hmm. like you're right. You're not getting you're you're not getting that anywhere else. So sure. I just want people to, um, I guess, spread the word that this is the place to come, uh, especially for younger practitioners that were like myself when I very went to my very first HVMA. The only thing I had trained in was acupuncture, so. You know, I learned about homotoxicology and then I went to more specific homotox stuff and I learned about, um, <laughs> and this is like from the mentorship standpoint. So I learned about Chinese herbs and then I went to Mona's house in Chicago five months in a row. Ah. That's how you make friends. And, and I, I'm still friendly with at least 50% of the people that were in that class with me because there were only, I don't know, eight of us. And then I went to, um, I guess it was in San Diego, like I heard Dr. Bankston speak. And so then I went to his class and met more people. And then I guess it was in Florida, I heard Patrice and I was intrigued, like, how do you adjust a diaphragm? So then I went to her classes in Oregon, but I would never have found out about different treatment modalities, especially those things like Dr. Bankston and cycling if I hadn't gone to HVMA. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's an experience like no other, I think. Yeah. All right. One uh, oddball question before we go. So sure. you've you've lived a lot of places for for your uh, sort of leisure time activities, and you can move move your practice anywhere. Where would it be in the United States? Let's say. Oh damn! I was going to say Europe. Okay. Well, go <laughs> ahead. Where, where 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 would you put it there? Um, probably in Spain. I love Spain. I haven't been to Portugal, but that might also be a good choice. I I think my biggest disappointment because I've lived in a super super small town where even the mailman knew your dog's name. Yeah. And that's not a joke. Now I live in a huge town where people don't even want to, you know, I've lived in this same house for six years now and we have the same neighbors who you try to smile and wave at and they don't even look at you. Yeah. So I kind of am drawn to Europe or European cities because there's more of, it feels more of a community yeah. where there's a town square and everybody hangs out there and there's marketplaces and you just go to the market every day. And it may be just a vacation illusion, but it would be nice to live somewhere where the whole pace of life is a little bit slower. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But you could still get your outdoor activities in. Exactly. Yep. In the United States, I don't know where I would move. 
I'm kind of stuck here now because <laughs> right, I almost right. rolled to the company store, right? It's just a thought experiment at this point, but yeah. Chattanooga. Let's all go to Chattanooga. I would lo- actually love to live in Chattanooga. Um, right. Growing up in Tennessee, Nashville's too big now, but Chattanooga's plenty of outdoor opportunities and yeah. um, still kind of a small town feel. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know that I could necessarily live in the South again, just um, from a misogyny standpoint and yeah. Yeah. still very racist and... Um, that was probably not the right word, but there's just a lot of subtle uh, gender bias in the South. Yeah. I feel yeah. like. If we only knew someone in Chattanooga. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right, Diana. Well, thanks so much for your time today. Uh-huh. I, You're I, welcome. I, look, I look forward to seeing you in a month. Yay. Me too. All right. All right. Enjoy Bye-bye. the weekend. You too. This podcast is made possible through the generous support of the College of Integrative Veterinary Therapies. ZIVT provides world-leading education in natural medicine, including three accredited postgraduate qualifications, industry-recognized certifications, and a wide range of evidence-based courses and webinars delivered by qualified and experienced practitioners. By bridging cutting-edge science and tradition, CIVT helps you to expand your treatment options to tackle your most challenging cases. And whether you're a veterinarian, veterinary technician or nurse, animal health professional, or someone who wants to learn more, they have the right course for you. Investigate their offerings at civtedu.org. If you're enjoying this podcast, we'd appreciate if you'd take the time to tell a friend and to give us a favorable rating on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again for your support. We'll see you next time.